You might be wondering tonight, and not just tonight, but on any given night, is this message for me? Is this message for me? Have you ever wondered that? Well, let me help you out with that. Are you aching, distressed, or suffering? Are you in anguish, misery, or pain of any kind? Are you hurting, afflicted, grieving, or heartbroken? Are you sad, mourning, or depressed? Are you or have you been disappointed, discouraged, or frustrated? Are you still alive in your physical body? If you answered yes to any one of these questions, <laughs> then this message is for you tonight. Many of these ad adjectives describe our lives in very many ways. And maybe perhaps you'd say, well, I'm not distressed tonight, but I have been distressed. I'm not in anguish, maybe not tonight, but I have been in anguish. I'm not in pain tonight, but I have been in pain. I'm not discouraged or frustrated tonight, but I have been discouraged and frustrated. These things at various times throughout our lives on on, if you look at our lives on a, on a timeline, at various points upon that line, these are the things that would describe our lives. The fact that we are still alive in our physical bodies is enough of an issue that we have to deal with in and of itself. Why? Because they are mortal. Our bodies are mortal. They are decaying. They are dying. And they are causing us to, like the Apostle Paul said in chapter 7 of Romans, when he said, who will deliver me from this body of death? So we're, we're crying out about what to do about all these things in our lives. Uh, we're crying out. And not only are we crying out, but as we'll look in our text tonight, the earth, the world itself is crying out. Uh, that the creation is crying out in desperation, wanting to be delivered from the decay, the, the corruption that it, ha it has been placed under. And so we come to the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, and we understand that there's a promise for all these things, for our lives and for the world that we have a promise in Christ, it's given to us in Scripture, that all of us in Christ will be glorified, and not only will we be glorified with Christ, but that the earth is going to be renewed, right? So that the end, at the end of the book, we have a new heaven and a new earth. We have this earth that has been transformed. It's, it's been I don't know, God in his power, in, his, in, in the ways that he can do it, can make it new in an instant. And, uh, and, and it's an incredible thing. So these are the promises of the children of God, of, the, of, of us who are his kids. But the question is, what do we do about now? What do we do about the suffering that we deal with now? What do we do with the frustration the decay that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, what do we do about it now? Well, God gives us 
a perspective. He gives us a plan of attack. And we will realize and remember and need to remember that we are predestined for the glory of heaven. Amen? So what do we do about now? What do we do about the present suffering? That's the question. So let's look at verse 18 of Romans 8. And it says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also, who, ha who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So what do we do about the present suffering? Well, suffering is the thing about life that is perhaps the hardest to understand. This is the question that has perplexed many a person, many a philosopher, many a theologian. The problem of pain, the problem of suffering, there's been many books written about this. There's been many things uh, said about it. Uh, and the atheists would say that, well, the fact that there is suffering means that there, there is no God. Because if God is all loving and he's all powerful and he does nothing about suffering, then, then, uh, then how can there be a God? How can there be a God who's loving and all-powerful and allow this suffering to take place? Well, that's why, to answer that question, we need a biblical worldview. We need a biblical worldview to understand these questions and to, and to look at our lives. And so when you look at your life and you see suffering and you see things uh, that happen in your life that aren't obviously the pleasant things that we look forward to and the, and the pleasures of life, but the sufferings of life, then we need an answer for that. And I believe that it's God, it's, it's Christ, it's his gospel, it's his word that gives the most coherent answer to the problem of pain, the problem of suffering, right? And so, and, 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 and when you come into life in Christ, when you come to the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, what has happened is that you've been uh, called out of darkness into light, you've been resurrected from the dead, you've been literally given a life, you've been born Again, as we have been talking about this, you have life in the spirit. And this life in the spirit of God, it, it makes it possible that one can understand and endure the suffering that takes place in our lives. Our life in Christ helps us then understand our suffering. It helps us to put a perspective on the suffering. Paul says here, uh, in verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory 
which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of the world is obviously is a result of sin. And we've, we've discussed this. We've been going through this. There's the sin uh, th- that, that has brought death and destruction to, to, to us, to our, it, it's given us this death sentence. And so then thus the decay, the, the destruction, and then the, the sinful deeds bring about this suffering in the world. And this is, this is all um, what it is. I think without, without the concept of sin, without a God in heaven that says uh, that there is sin and, and people, when you wrong one another, it's hard to ground a morality uh, that says uh, this harmful action to another person can somehow be uh, called a, a bad or an evil Action. The fact that you're saying something is evil or something is not what it should be suggests that there's some way that it should be. And right. if there isn't a way that it should be, where are you getting this idea that there's a way that it should be? And, and C.S. Lewis, uh, if, you, if you care to let, really dive into a lot of this, you need to pick up the works of C.S. Lewis and read a book called Mere Christianity. And um, he's got another one called The Problem of Pain. He deals with a lot of uh, all these issues. And he talks about this idea of, of the ought, of um, that, that there is something, there's a, there's a way that it should be, there's a way we ought to act. And without a God in heaven to ground that, then, then there's, no, there's really no basis uh, for arriving at that uh, particular, particular point. So, so what this does, what, what Paul is saying here is, you know, he's looking at the suffering head on uh, that's in the life of, of any person, but specifically the life of the believer. And in verse 18, he's wanting to, us to put a perspective on the suffering. He's acknowledging that there is suffering, but he's wanting us, the, the, the Christian has a perspective on it, really is what it comes down to. The Christian has a perspective on the suffering. And what he says here is, I, for I, I do not consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So we need to put, put suffering in perspective with our future. Amen. Um, because we have a future. We have a future. This isn't it. This isn't the end of the road. Uh, we're headed. We have a destiny. Uh, we have a destiny of glory. We're going to be glorified. We sang about it tonight. What a, what a great couple of songs that we, we sang about, that we are going to make it through this storm, and that we have an anchor that's going to hold, and we have a hope in Christ that's not going to disappoint, and we are going to be with him, and we are going to, when he returns, we're going to be found spotless before the, before the throne of God. And so we do have that future that we have to realize, and so we have to put suffering in perspective with our future. No one can blame their present suffering on God. That's been, that's a subject that's been uh, well treated in one of the books of the Bible called, called the book of Job. You, you break out the book of Job and you read about that and, and um, you know, because it's, it's kind of an easy uh, target. God's the easy target, you know. It's, it's one thing, it's one thing to say, you know, there is no God and there, therefore, like, how is there, how is, 
you know, an evil action called evil if there's nothing good to, to compare it to. But if there is a God, then we can be angry with them for making life this way and causing it to be like this. And the bottom line is that the Christian theology, the, the Bible uh, story, gives us a storyline as to how to make sense of all of this. That, there, that, that the earth was made good, that each thing was good, and then something went bad, went wrong in the garden, and man went his own way, and death and destruction were brought into the world. And so there was a curse that was brought down. The curse of sin was brought down on man and upon the serpent and upon the ground. Remember, the ground was cursed as well. And so this is all a part of, of what happened there, but there's the hope of the final thing that God's going to do. There, there is kind of a, a, a recreation. There is a restoration not only of us, but of the creation itself. Amen? So Paul says that the suffering, the, the, the current suffering that you're going through, and, and, and you can read this and whatever, like right now you say, well, I'm not going through suffering, so I can't really, I don't feel the weight of this. I don't feel the weight. But like read this when you're going through some suffering. Read, come, to, come to Romans chapter 8. If, 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 if things aren't going well, start here in Romans 8 and read to the, to the end of the chapter. And, 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 and realize that there's a, there's a perspective that we need to have on our suffering, and it has to do with understanding our future. Um, the suffering that you're going through now, or that you will go through, is not to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You are headed for glory, and so we have to look at that this time although it may involve some suffering, and it will, is short compared to and not even worthy to be compared to the glory that we're going to experience in Christ. Amen? Amen. And Paul said this uh, very similar thing in his letter to the Corinthians, actually in his second letter, chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, I'll have the first verse on the screen behind me. Paul said this to the Corinthians, he said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, very similar to what he's saying here to the Romans in chapter 8, that, that this trouble is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's coming. He says here, he's a little bit more explicit in the Corinthians passage, he says the light and momentary trouble, not, it, it, you know, and, and he contrasts that against this glory. Now, the word glory in the New Testament is the word doxa, D-O-X-A. And um, that's the transliteration of it in English from, from the Greek. But it, the, the word glory, it carries the idea, the idea of something that actually has weight. 
that there's, there's a weightiness to the glory of God. And so there's kind of a play on the words there that there's, there's light and momentary troubles, but there's this heavy glory that's coming. Yes. And so we really need to kind of understand that. And um, I tell you what, wow, man, it, 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 Christians are the ones that when, I, when, when you see disasters strike and they're being interviewed and you're, you're seeing people like, you know, tornadoes ripping through Alabama or, or, or wherever, right? Whatever the, the, the situation is. And it's usually Christians that I see that are explaining to the newscaster that's interviewing them that these are light and momentary troubles. That, that God's got this all under control, that he's, that he's got them in the palm of his hand, and, and they stand back and they're amazed. You know, they're amazed. You know, you're amazing. Let's get you on Good Morning America. Let's get you on, you know, some show or whatever. And look at this. Per- this is the perspective of the Bible. This is the perspective. This is the understanding, the worldview of the Christian. This is, this is it that these troubles, that this suffering, that this situation is light and momentary, and we're headed for something that is heavy, amen, that is weighty, that is the glory of God. And so, verse 18 in in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so that's, that kind of completes the, the loop. Not only do we have this understanding, these troubles are light and momentary, there's a weight of glory that's coming, but we're not even necessarily, we have a different type of vision. <laughs> we don't have this vision that we only see, like if all you're looking at when you're standing in, pile of a, uh, in front of a pile of wood and, 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 and block that used to be your house, you know, that can be kind of a devastating situation. But when you're looking at it through the eyes of the believer that has this understanding, we're not looking at just the physical realm. We're not looking at what is only happening happening in the physical. We realize that there's a spiritual realm, that there's unseen things, and that God is at work. Amen? Amen. So back to Romans. So Paul is saying here uh, that there's going to be a glory, verse 18, there's going to be a glory that shall be revealed in us, uh, and that there's an earnest expectation that we have and that we need to have. And so, Christian, when you're, when you're going through your life, you go through your life living it for the glory of God, living it out for Christ, you're living out your life as a living sacrifice for him, right? But when stuff goes wrong, we have, we have an expectation. We're looking forward to the future. We have an expectation that, that there's, there is coming a day when, uh, then, when this whole thing is going to come, come to a culmination. Mm-hmm. What Paul says here is we have an expectation of the creation that is eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was also subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So we have been, we're in this state of eagerly awaiting this this revealing. Mm -hmm. What this is, is a revealing of of the true sons of God. When you become a Christian, you become a son of God. 
you, you, when you receive Christ, you've been given a right. We've been talking about this, right? We just talked about, I talked about the greatest right in the universe. Not, not in the Bill of Rights, but in the Bible. The right to become a child of God. And it happens when you believe and receive. To as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, the sons of God. And that's what God is doing. He's building a family. And there's going to be a revealing. There are, there are many people that uh, there's, there's, there's going to be a revealing of the true people of God. It's not going to be, uh, you know, people that are putting on some type of a show, people that are, you know, uh, kidding themselves or kidding everyone else around them. It's going to be a revealing of the people who are truly a part of the kingdom. And, and, and that's going to be an unbelievable situation. And, uh, and so we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to this, this revelation of the true sons of God, this revealing. And the creation, uh, the, the, the hope of the restoration of the creation. So we want to talk about this idea of the creation suffering. So we talk about the, the peop- people suffer that, that have been subjected to uh, the, the curse and so, so on. But the creation also suffers. The curse of sin is also on the earth. He's, I believe God said in Genesis 3, you know, curse is the ground and you will produce, you know, you will, you know, thorns and thistles, the, the earth will produce and all this. And it's just a general idea of the curse of sin that was, that was placed upon the earth. And so the creation suffers. The creation was subject, subjected to futility. The, the idea of vanity. Um, and, and this is sad because God, God does not create anything in vain. Amen? Mm-hmm. Nothing is created without a purpose. No, nothing is created in vain. Nothing is, is created in a way that is subjected to, that, 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 that is in that sense. But he has a plan of restoration, that he brings stuff back to the way that it should be. Amen? Mm-hmm. So the earth is under the bondage of corruption. Now, many have tied this idea here in Romans 8, this idea to what scientists have discovered in the cosmos, uh, which is a concept in science called entropy. And really what, it, what is stated in what's called the second law of thermodynamics, okay? Wouldn't be a message by me if I didn't br- bring up some type of a scientific right. thing for the benefit of my, my sons. So... Uh, <laughs> So the second law of thermodynamics states that in all energy exchanges, if no energy enters or leaves the system, the potential energy of the state will always be less than the initial state. This is also commonly referred to as entropy. What does that mean? For the layman, it means this. Things always go from order to disorder. The the, the classic example of entropy is your garage if you have one (laughs) clean it up come back in about six months it will not be in that state it will be a mess okay then you have to if anybody has a garage you have to reorganize it like all constantly i think ours is due for another reorganization um we are experiencing entropy right now in our house 
And that's because Mary Jo is out of town, and so things are going from order to disorder. Oh, my goodness. Very quickly. Actually, right now, it's not so bad. Last time she went out of town, it was like, you know, the sink got filled up, and then the dishwasher got filled up. We filled the dishwasher up, and then there was nowhere else to put it, so we had to actually run the, run the dishes and stuff and keep up with this. And it was like, let's, this time, it's like, let's just keep going out to eat and throw the trash away and then get her back as soon as we can. But this is entropy. This is entropy. Things go from order to disorder. And to, st- to state it simply again, the universe is winding down. The universe is winding down. And uh, so I always like to talk about this when people make bold predictions about like the end of the world and things that we're hearing about uh, a lot lately in the, in the, in the political world of, um, I don't know, Something's going to happen in 10 or 12 years and so on and so forth. Let me, let me just tell you this. The, the, God's got it under control. And this whole thing, you know, the earth is, uh, is been here for a long time. And it's going to continue to be here for a long time. And then it's going to be renewed. It's going to be, there's going to be a new earth. So my, my theory on this is this has something to do with uh, the Higgs boson, the God particle where the, the particle, the, when you get down into particle physics, this is the particle that gives mass to what, what anything you see that has mass. This, bit, this Higgs boson, this God particle, is what it is. And um, so this is finding its way into all of our movies, right? So, we, so we're all, you know, Avengers and, you know, who was it? Thanos snapped and, like, everything kind of vanished and disappeared. And then, he like, you know, they go back and they bring them back together. So... <laughs> <laughs> right? So <clears throat> this is, this is, what? Oh, spoiler. Oh, did I just spoil it? Oh, no. <laughs> I, just, I just spoiled the Avengers. All right. Um, no, nah, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. It's, it's good. Um, so anyways, so, but no, but this is, this is, this is what my understanding of science and what my understanding of the Bible is, that you have that you have in science, you have this idea of the Higgs boson, that you have this particle which gives mass to the atoms and the things that we see, and that God has a power and a way that he could probably, there's probably a switch. He, he could switch it on and switch it back on, switch it off and switch it back on in a, in a what? In a twinkling of an eye, right? So, so that's the type of thing that, uh, you know, so Thanos is all, no, 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 let me tell you about a God. Let me tell you about the God, the one, the, 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 one the, the true living God, Yahweh God, who has control over the Higgs boson. Yes. And he can do this. And so, so yes, yeah, so the earth has been subjected to vanity and, and, and futility, but it's, it's also crying out in that same way. And, and Paul says, and it will be delivered. It will be delivered. You will be delivered in Christ. The earth will also be delivered. The, the earth groans right now. The earth groans in, in, with labors, with, with labor and birth pains, right? And we see this. There's the, we, we, we see this with the, um, with the earthquakes and things that are going on. And, and, and there are signs, uh, you know, there's, there's always earthquakes. I mean, if you look at the seismographs and things, uh, there's, there's, there's very intense moments and uh, so on and so forth. But there's going to be, um, as, as 
we get closer to the culmination of this thing, there's going to be an intensity, just like the labor pains when a woman has gone into labor and the, and the contractions get more intense and more intense and more intense to the point where they're like, ah, you know, that, that, you know, get, it's, it starts off and it, it, you know, then it gets to the point where it's like, you know, who did this to me, you know? <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah, you say, sorry, honey. Uh, um, but anyways, you're going to get through it. Um, and just like that, um, God's got a plan and God is, is, is looking at this earth and it, it is groaning. The word for groan there means a groan or a sigh. And, and in the New Testament, this groaning takes place by reason of a state of oppression which causes suffering and from which there is a desire to be free. And, and, and just as we desire to be free, we are grown, we are groaning to be, and this is an argument that Paul makes in his other epistles, not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed. We're, 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 there's a, a habitation that we're going to have that is that spiritual, supernatural habitation. So, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, in my Father's house are many, many, many rooms, many habitations. This is the idea in Scripture that, that he is preparing a place for us, that, he, that we're going to have that habitation. And uh, it's a very, very powerful situation. And then the, the earth is also groaning. So this is all kind of culminating uh, as, we're, as we're moving on in time. So we have to have a perspective on the troubles, but we also have to have a plan of attack. Let's pick it up verse, back in verse 23. Paul says this, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope, but the hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope in what he sees? But, but if we hope... For what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we have a plan of attack. We have a perspective on the pain, the suffering, and we have a plan of attack. How, how do we deal with the suffering now? We need a plan of attack. The plan of attack is this, to be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, to be people of the Spirit. Then you will have the first fruits of the Spirit. You will have the Spirit. You will have the, what Paul said, talking here, you will have the Spirit. You will have the first fruits of the Spirit. Of God. The Holy Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee of our redemption. You've been given this first fruits. You've been given this deposit. It's, you've been filled up with the Spirit. Right. And so you're, you're, you're not like, you're different. This isn't, this isn't something that we walk around and go, well, we're better than everyone else because we have the Spirit. But like, you know, it's kind of true because we've been brought into a different existence. Right. Something has happened. We have, the, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been placed upon, 
on deposit as a guarantee in our lives. And this is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I'll throw it up on the screen behind me. He says, In him, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so you have received the Spirit, and so you're a spiritual person. And we eagerly await the promise of his glory. But then Paul goes in, on into this whole section where he says, uh, we've received the first fruits of the Spirit, even, even as we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So this is where he's talking about we're crying out for the redemption of our body. We, we, we don't want to be a disembodied spirit. We want to be, we want to, we, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to shed the mortality and we're going to put on immortality. Okay, so that's, that's what's going to happen and that's what we're groaning for. We're going to shed the, Im, the, the mortal and put on the immortal. And so we're groaning in that sense in the mortal, in the mortal for that which is that immortal body, that, that glorified body that we're going to be further clothed with, better clothed, amen? But in the suffering and as we're groaning, we're holding on to the hope. We're holding on to what we don't see. We're looking around at what we do see, and it's like, yeah, we, we're, we're looking forward to what, what God has promised. We're, we have a hope, and we're eagerly awaiting with perseverance. In verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. So we have this plan of attack that we have the Spirit, and then the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not even know what we should pray for sometimes. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This has been interpreted in, in many circles, in, in especially Pentecostal circles, as um, where the Spirit prays through us and, and this, uh, uh, in this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think it would be, that, that's fine, that's, that's, that's a... That's, uh, that's certainly true, that, that, that as we're filled with the Spirit, there is uh, the, 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 the Lord prays and, and, and gives uh, people the utterance of what to pray for, and that we don't know what to pray for. And so when you look at the gift of tongues and that type of thing, we have, when you have the gift of tongues, when you're speaking in tongues, you don't know what you're saying. Your mind is unfruitful. But the Spirit is, is praying through you, and that's where... And, and also, the Lord is an intercessor. Amen? The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is an intercessor. And He ever, He's ever there before the throne, um, making intercession for you and I. Amen? And so, thank God. Thank God that we have Christ, that He is, is helping us to pray, and he's praying through us and praying for us. Amen? Yes, yes, amen. My goodness. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, he says, and the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So Paul brings this all down to one last point in this section where we need to remember you're, you're predestined for glory. Let's pick it up. Or let's go, let's look at, uh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead there. I jumped ahead. I don't want to jump ahead. The Holy Spirit helps us, right? For we do not even know what to, to, to pray for, but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He searches hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit. He makes intercession according to the will of God. And then we come to perhaps one of the most famous verses in the book of Romans. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Amen? Amen. So, now this, this verse is a famous verse. Many people know it. Many people have it on, you know, buttons and things and whatever and, and all kinds of it flies around, you know, Facebook and, and uh, Instagram on various postings and all this. But we need to understand this that let's, let's, let's go back and read it again. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And really what you have here in the original language is the idea of the things not working but God working in all things. In all things, God is working for, for, the, for His will and what He is doing in the life of the believer. And so for the believer, we have God working. And so when things <clears throat> might even seem like they're a negative, they might even seem to be a setback of, of, of uh, sorts. But for the believer, we've got to keep a perspective on things that God is working in all things. Now, this is not to say that when we have go out and do something dumb, <laughs> you know, that, that it was dumb, right? Or we made a mess or we did wrong. But even in that, if we, if we truly love God, God can redeem those situations. He can work in those situations. He can bring about... Uh, relationships, contacts, things that work together uh, in our lives. And, and, and if, if we stopped the service right now and just turned it over into a testimony time, we would, even with a smaller crowd here tonight, we would still fill up a bunch of time declaring and testifying of the truth of what we're talking about here. That God works in the situations and He works things, He, he works in things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Those who love God and are called according to His purpose. If you love God and you're called according to your purpose, His purpose, God is working in the situations, in the things in your life. And so that's, a, that's an awesome, awesome thing. It's like we've got 
We have a, like a manager, like a life manager. We have a God who is managing and working in situations and in ways that we don't know about and bringing them about for his purpose in our lives. And what's his purpose? What's his purpose? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul said it this way, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's his purpose. What? So God is working in the lives of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is to work in your life to bring you to a place where you're going to be standing in front of him, yes. pure and holy Amen. and in his love and totally restored and redeemed. Right. Amen. So, wow, we got to let God work. Maybe that thing that we want to happen so bad isn't the thing that, that, that's going to bring about the purposes of God in our lives. Or maybe he's going to accomplish it a different way than we thought that we had planned, but, but he's going to take us on a way and it's going to seem like a detour and we're going to come over here and then God's going to open it up because it's going to be done in a way that accomplishes his purpose in our life. And his purpose is that we're saved and we're being sanctified and that we're on our way to glory, and that we're going to stand before him totally redeemed and restored. Amen? Yes. And one last point that we do, we need to remember that we're predestined for glory. Let's go back to verse 29. It says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So we're, if you're in Christ, and you love God, and you're called according to his purpose, you were predestined for, for glory before the foundation of the world. Before God laid the cornerstone of the earth, you were predestined for glory. How is that possible? It's possible because it says those he foreknew, he predestined. What's this? It talks about foreknowledge. This idea of foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is an important term in the Bible. It points to the omniscience of God. There's the attributes of God, right? There's the omnis. The omni-attributes, right? Omnipotent, om, 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 omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. Omnipotent, all-powerful, om, omnipresent, everywhere. Omniscience is all-knowing. He knows everything all at once. He knows everything all at once. He doesn't come into knowing, oh, now, now I know that. <laughs> right? He knows everything all at once. And so when he set the world into, into motion, when he created the world, he foreknew. He, 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 he had foreknowledge. He, he knows everything at once. And, and so he knows 
who in, in giving them the free will, I've opened up a can of worms saving this point for last, right? You know, because I'm getting into, I'm getting into free will, I'm getting into predestination, I'm getting into all the toughies theologically right here. I should probably save this for next week. Um, really. Uh, <laughs> but so he, he, he foreknew and so by virtue of creating the world and having foreknowledge of what would happen and th- those given free choice, what they would choose, he predestined those who would be in him to be destined for his glory. Amen? Amen? And I, don't have, I, I'm, I may have to revisit this topic next week because I don't have time to really do this justice. And I want to get into it because there's, you open up a lot of questions about the foreknowledge of God and how does he, does he, does he know? Um, he knows everything. He knows there's an idea of what's called Molinism. Which it's, a, it's, a, it's an idea of the knowledge of God that he knows what we would choose if we were to be put in any circumstance. And so we can trust the, um, if you ever are around someone who's kind of, you know, banging that hammer of like, well, what about the people who've never heard of Christ? And what about the people who don't know the gospel? And they live in the bush of, you know, somewhere in the middle of Africa. They've never had an opportunity. God knows. They have a revelation that has actually been brought to them by virtue of the revelation of the creation and the power and the attributes of God that are clearly seen in the creation. And he also knows, because he knows everything at once, he knows what someone would choose if they were presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were put in that position. And so uh, we can trust the, the, the knowledge of God and we can trust the, the justice of God yes. Um, and, and, and all that. And all that is to say that we're predestined to be in him, to be glorified, to go through the entire process of justification, sanctification, glorification, and to be with him forever and ever and ever. So what do we do about now? What do we do about now? We have to keep a perspective. We have to have the biblical perspective on pain, on suffering, on, on what's happening in our own bodies, on our own lives, the, the people around us, and the world, and the earth that is groaning and crying out to, be, uh, to, to, to come out from underneath this subjection to futility. So we have a perspective on it. We have a plan of attack filled with the Spirit. The Spirit works in us, and He's working together in our lives to bring about His purpose in our lives. Amen? And so when we look at it from that perspective, we can sit back and say, okay, God, you've got this under control. Thank you, Jesus.